Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, are you? Uh, have you had enough green beer, and are you enjoying the NCAA tournament? Uh, I have not had enough green beer. I am enjoying the NCAA tournament. I was up very late last night watching that overtime game between San Francisco and Murray State. Did you stay up for that one, Carson? I don't even know who won that game. I went to bed. Oh, man, I feel bad for you. I feel bad for everybody who didn't stay up for that one. Kid na- Murray State ended up winning, but a kid named Jamari Bouye for San Francisco restored my faith in college basketball. I mean, put the team on his back, step back threes, 28-footer descended to overtime. He was just, he was nasty all night. Scored, I think he went on like a personal 14-0 run or something in late second half and into overtime. It was a great, great college basketball game. So tournament's been pretty good so far, and I haven't had any uh, major bracket busters. So I'm feeling good. I loved those San Francisco kind of throwback-ish Nike uniforms they were wearing. Those things were sweet. Yeah. Shout out Eddie Sutton, by the way. San Francisco, the Dons. Yeah. People forget that's where he got his uh, 800th win at San Francisco. <laughs> Uh, also Bill Russell's alma mater as well. I picked San Francisco, so I'm disappointed to learn live on the pod that my pick, uh, was, I got to put a red X through their name. I picked them solely because Eddie coached there. I didn't watch any college basketball this year, so I'm just picking games randomly. So I got to that one. I'm like, ah, Eddie coached at San Francisco. Let's do it. Yep. I, I, uh, I looked up on ESPN on the bracket. You can look up who picked who throughout like I think almost every round. And I kind of like to look at that and kind of just go against the field. So that's what, that's how I ended up on, on San Francisco. Okay. And that's do what? Fade the public. Yeah. I was trying to, I I fade the public a lot. Unfortunately, I faded the public by picking Kentucky to win the national championship. Oh, my wife picked (laughs) Kentucky to win the national championship. Last night we were watching that game. I had them going out in the Sweet 16, so I'm watching it, and I'm kind of rooting for the underdog because I I enjoy the the 15 over the two and all that, and I didn't have them going very far anyway. So we're sitting there, and she goes, you know if Kentucky loses this, I'm going to have no more incentive to watch any of the rest of the tournament. And I'm like, ah, it's fine. You still got other Final Four teams, but we'll see whenever she gets home from work later if she's still wanting to sit down and watch basketball. No, it's a liberating feeling, actually when you lose your national champion, because then you really pull for every underdog because you're out of, you're practically out of it already. So just root for chaos. It's kind of a fun place to be actually, once you get over the, the disappointment. Yeah. I, I'm in a, uh, a couple of survivor pools where you pick a team a day. And if that team advances, you get to go on. So I've got some survivor pools going another like pick four pool that I'm in. So all of the actual financial gambling I'm doing this this tournament season is not in brackets. My bracket pool is a free pool, and then my money pools are just kind of the random ones. Well, the one I picked Kentucky in is kind of the – I'm in a massive pool, so that's why I picked them in – like the, the big massive pool is what I did all the kind of the contrarian type picks, kind of fading the public each round. But the one I filled out in like three minutes that I posted on Twitter, that's just going to my, my buddies with like ten guys, so – my, but my one in that one was Gonzaga, just like everybody else. I think like 30, 30, 35% of the, all brackets are picking Gonzaga to win. So I went kind of, kind of chalky on that one. 
So that's that's kind of what I was doing this year because, like, I'm like you. I watched zero national uh, college basketball. Yeah, I didn't watch any. And, I mean, I'm even watching right now Miami, Florida, and USC. I had no idea who to pick in this game throughout USC. Just I feel like every year we don't pay attention or watch the Pac-12 every year, and then one of those teams goes on a run to the Elite Eight. Last year it was Oregon. Sometimes it's UCLA. So I feel like I always pick the Pac-12 teams because we don't watch them. We don't know anything about them, so then people don't pick them, and then they come out and they're pretty good. Oregon State last year beats Oklahoma State in the second round. It's just – so, yeah, I've got USC and uh, and UCLA. I think I've got US, UCLA in the Final Four maybe. I don't even know. I I usually memorize my bracket this year. It just, it was just hitting a little different this year. You know what conference you need to fade besides the mountain West, which hasn't won a game the last two years and they haven't covered a spread the last two years is the, uh, is it the conference that Iowa's in? It is the conference of the leaders and legends. Isn't that what they, that ridiculous, ridiculous names they had for the divisions leaders and legends. That's brilliant. Good old Iowa, who, again, on my contrarian picks, I picked Iowa to get to the Sweet 16. And as I was doing it, I was like, I can't pick Iowa to go to the Sweet 16. But no one no one really likes Iowa, so I did. And it bit me because the Big Ten, just like football, is the most overrated conference in America. Year after year, they, people want to tell us they're so good. They get, they get so many teams in the tournament. Colby, they got nine teams into the NCAA tournament. And of their top-ranked teams, their highest-ranked team is Purdue, and they're ranked 10th. 10th, 16th, 19th, and 14th are their only ranked teams in the entire conference, which is, you know, middle of the top 25, respectable. But let's not act like they're just, you know, this amazing basketball conference, which, again, everyone wants to tell us they are. Ohio State last year loses to Oral Roberts as a two-seed. It's just, it drives me crazy, this notion that just because they have huge fan bases and a lot of people watch them, that people think that the Big Ten's so great. Colby, do you know the last time the Big Ten won the national championship in college basketball? Oh, you're really making me think here. Uh, I don't think any of those Ohio State teams did it with D'Angelo Russell and those guys. Michigan team got close with uh, uh, whatever the guard's name was that hit the the shot in the elite eight trying to think back Michigan. It probably would have been a Michigan state Tom Izzo team in let's say 2007. You got the right team. The year was 2000. Dear God, that, uh, that conference could be old enough to legally drink at a bar in the U S since the last time they won a national title. 22 years. And look, they, I looked it up. They've had a ton of Final Four teams. They have one just about every year. Sometimes, some years they've had two. But for a conference that people just, they put in a majority of their conference in the NCAA tournament at the expense of other conferences, it's a joke. It's a total joke. Michigan State, Tom Izzo, 2000, the last time a Big Ten team won the national title. And I just, it's a, I don't understand it. It drives me crazy. And I'm going to keep beating the drum that the Big Ten is, is perennially overrated in football and now in basketball as well. Yeah. I mean, obviously the big 10 is it's, 
And I made the mistake of picking Iowa to go a couple of rounds because you forget, you know, you're just filling it out. You're doing it quickly. It's like, ah, Iowa, Richmond, which by the way, Richmond is a really good tournament team. Richmond over the last 30 years, I saw earlier on Twitter, has won as a 12 seed. They've won as a 13 seed. They won as a 14 seed and they've won as a 15 seed. So shout out Richmond for being a really good tournament team. But I picked Iowa to go a couple of rounds. That was my mistake. Why would, why would you ever pick Iowa to have any success nationally in anything? Iowa is the epitome of mediocrity. That is what Iowa is. They're just good enough to make you think they can be good, but as soon as you think they might be good, you realize, nope, that was just me forgetting what I learned last year. Hopefully I don't have to set, learn this same lesson in 2023, Carson, because I've got to just remind myself, Iowa, bad. It's that simple. Yeah, you think Oklahoma State would have liked to have played, let's say, four, uh, let's see here, 13 and 17 Minnesota? How about 10 and 22 Nebraska? Oh, My boy Fred Hoiberg, who I liked, is, is not doing good at Nebraska. How about 15 and 16 Northwestern? How about 14 and 17 Penn State? How about 15 and 17 Maryland? I mean, who scares you in the bottom of that conference? Even I don't think OSU would be afraid of Rutgers, who's 18 and 14. I mean, look, Illinois is good. Brad Underwood's doing a good job up there. We all know Wisconsin's good year in, year out. I kind of lump Purdue in with Iowa. I kind of like Purdue this year with the seven foot four dude, but Purdue's kind of like Iowa, where every year they get like a three seed and every year they go out early. They get two seeds a lot of years and lose early. I just, the Big 12 would, would mop the floor with the Big 10. It's just plain and simple. And yet the Big 12 got six teams and the Big 10 got nine. Now, obviously, one of those teams, Oklahoma State, they were eliminated before they played a single game. I thought Oklahoma kind of got a little bit of a raw deal based on the numbers, but they shouldn't have gotten in when, when Trey Young was playing there. So I'm not going to – I'm certainly not going to cry over the OU not getting into the tournament either. Uh, no, I'm not either. That uh... – that was actually pretty funny to watch them all react to how that went down whenever they didn't get in the tournament. But like you said, the Big 12, far superior basketball conference to the Big 10, yet the Big 10 gets all the love. I don't know if it's Northeast bias. I don't know if you get people on these committees who, who've gone to some of these schools, Ohio State, Northwestern, and places like that, and are, are the decision makers now. But we end up uh, with some Big 12 schools. And how many Big 12 schools have already gone? Texas Tech dominated earlier. Baylor and Kansas played yesterday. Uh, neither one had a problem as a one seed. So uh, Big 12 is off to a pretty good start. TCU plays later today, so we'll keep an eye on TCU. But, yes, the Big 12 probably should have gotten more respect nationally and less for the Big 10. But we don't get to make these decisions, Carson. For some reason, uh, they don't let us in those rooms. Yeah, Texas playing uh, Virginia Tech right now. It's a one-point game early in the first half. And, and I guess – this kind of started with me back when OSU in 2004, the team that ultimately went to the final four with, with Tony Allen and those guys, John Lucas, they were a two seed that year. And they, I'll have to look it up here. They were, their resume was as good as it can possibly be. They won the regular season big 12 championship and the tournament and they got a two seed behind little St. Joe's with Jameer Nelson and them who didn't play anybody. And ultimately justice was served and that they, they ended up playing each other uh, that year. But let's see here. Yeah. Oklahoma state was 31 and four overall 14 and two in the big 12 won the regular season and the tournament and got a two seed. 
And let's see. I'm going to look up that NCAA uh, and by tournament. The way, Carson, by the way, that was big boy basketball being played in the Big 12 at the time. Yeah. I mean, they were playing Kansas at the peak of their powers, Texas at the peak of their powers, Oklahoma at the peak of their powers. That, that conference was an absolute juggernaut. Iowa State was really good back then. And that, this is kind of what I was talking about with, you know, the Big Ten just getting this just overwhelming amount of respect. And uh, let's see here. Okay, well, it, Big Ten wasn't really – they didn't get any number one seeds that year, so it kind of defeats my point. But, but the, the point <laughs> still remains that the Big 12 just – even in the Big 12 at that time was widely considered one of the best conferences in the, in the country. Oklahoma State gets a two seed. So I just that, – that, that always stuck with me, the fact that <laughs> – you know, Duke was 27 and five that year, but they're Duke. They get a one seed. Uh, Kentucky, 26 and four in the SEC, which was way down back then. And you could argue still down. They got a one seed. St. Joe's, they're 27 and one in the, in the Atlantic 10. So I don't know. It's just the perception nationally has never, for me in basketball and in football, for that matter, has never really matched with the quality of play that the Big 12 has. No, I agree with that. By the way, did you see Jameer Nelson Jr. playing earlier? You mentioned St. Joe's. Jog my memory. Yeah, I felt really old, just like everybody uh, else, seeing Jameer Nelson's son playing basketball. Yep, I'm pushing 30. I've got a uh, baby on the way in a couple of weeks, and I'm watching Jameer Nelson Jr. play basketball. My time's coming, Carson. Well, it dawned on me how old I'm getting that, you know, I was thinking about talking to you about former Oklahoma State basketball players and just – it dawned on me how old I am that I can go back to like the Corey Williams days at OSU. Those are my earliest memories, the Byron Houston days, big country. Now people that are under the age of, of 30, they don't even, they don't even know those names. Like their earliest memories are probably more of James Anderson, uh, oh. Brian Nash. <laughs> you, t- you tell me young and who are your earliest memories? Uh, my earliest memories. I have vague memories of Desmond Mason, um, some Victor Williams memories, but I mean, the, the really like concrete, you can remember the entire season watching all the games. You can remember how you felt when it ended. That was the, the Oh four final four team, John Lucas, Joey Graham, Ivan McFarlane, all those guys. That was, that was the one for me that I can still look back and remember the whole season. Remember how I felt whenever it ended. Uh, Will Bynum, I will never forgive him, Carson. I'll just, he'll never be forgiven. You know the story behind that, right? Will Bynum, that he was committed uh, to OSU? Yeah, I remember reading about it a long time ago. Uh, but you can jog my memory. I, was he, like, close to coming here? I mean, he was committed, but was it, like, pretty much a done deal and he flipped late, or what happened? Yeah, he was committed, and I, you know, him and Tony Allen were, are boys. They, they knew each other from Chicago. And he was committed to go to OSU. And I think the story that I remember is that Kelvin Sampson did some negative recruiting against Oklahoma State. He didn't want Will Bynum going there or was he was trying to get him to. And I, for some reason, he ended up at Georgia Tech and it ended up working out where Oklahoma State got John Lucas to transfer from Baylor. And obviously, John Lucas goes on to be one of the best Cowboys of all time, co-Big 12 player of the year. Uh, it worked out. He hit the biggest shot maybe in OSU history to send them to the final four. Um, so it worked out. It was just the irony that they ended up playing Will Bynum and he, he was the one that ended up hitting the shot against Oklahoma State. It was pretty crazy, the fact that that ended up happening that way.
Well, and how rapidly it all came down where Oklahoma State goes down and scores to tie it up. So it's like this pure elation and then no timeout from Georgia Tech inbound 94 feet up and in ball game. It's like the the just emotional high of tying that game. And then seriously, within seven or eight seconds, your heart is just ripped out of your chest. That's not a feeling you forget. No, I remember exactly where I watched that game. I was in Stillwater at uh, the Delta Todd Delta fraternity house. Oh, it went, it went from the roof about to blow off the place to a funeral and one trip down the court. And cause I, I thought they were winning it all that year. I mean, I look, <laughs> they would have had a, a tall task in front of them playing against Connecticut. A literal but, tall task. That was to beat, wasn't it? No, that was a uh, Okafor. That was Mecca, Okafor. Okafor, yeah. Okafor um, proceeded to beat, right? Yeah. Ben Gordon. Yeah. Uh, they were – Connecticut was the best team that year. But still, you would have liked an opportunity to play against them. And OSU was better than Georgia Tech that year. They had that Luke Schencher guy had the, the game of his life against Oklahoma State. And uh, the rest is history. So, uh, tough, tough memories, but still an unbelievable run and a, a team that, that I'll always remember uh, as well. We do have some football news to get to here, Colby. Uh, JT Daniels doing anything for you at quarterback, the uh, former Georgia quarterback, former USC quarterbacks on the transfer portal. Uh, it appears he's favoring Oregon State, according to John Cazano. But uh, he does list Oklahoma State among the teams that he is considering, along with West Virginia, Colorado, and Missouri. JT Daniels doing anything for you? Yeah, I don't know. I feel like this is another situation where if he picks Oklahoma State, I think he's going to be in the same spot he was last year where he transfers. He goes in and he can't win the job. I mean, we haven't seen a ton of JT Daniels, but I certainly don't think he's going to come in and win the job over Spencer Sanders, who's been here for years, who's now comfortable with Casey Dunn. I, I just, I don't see how he could win the starting quarterback job in Stillwater. So I'd be really surprised if he wound up here. It's kind of saying that it looks like Oregon State is the favorite, but that he's also considering Oklahoma State along with Colorado and Missouri. Uh, but I don't expect him to wind up in Stillwater because at this point in his career, he's got to go somewhere where he knows he can be the starter. Like they just have a void at the position and he can be the starter because he goes to USC as the big recruit, can't get on the field. He goes to Georgia, expected to overtake Stetson Bennett, can't get on the field. I cannot imagine him going to another place where he would have to be in a quarterback battle that there's a decent chance that he would lose. I, I just can't fathom that happening. Well, and if he's smart, he would look at the situation as well that a quarterback who's built almost identically in Shane Illingworth is transferring because he couldn't beat out Spencer Sanders. Now, JT Daniels could, could argue to himself. I'm, I'm better than Shane Illingworth. I've, I've played some at this level. I, but you just look at the offense, the way they've tailored it around Spencer. I, I just, it doesn't make sense for, to me for either party, you know, Oklahoma state's recruiting quarterbacks that are different uh, builds than, than JT Daniels now, now that Illingworth is out the door. So yeah, I'm with you. I don't, I don't think it makes a whole lot of sense. I, I, I understand why he would be on like OSU would be on the list in a lot of ways, just in terms of the success of the program, but I don't, I don't see it. And I think with the way Spencer kind of played in the bowl game and just all the experience now that he has in Stillwater, I think he's going to deter a lot of transfer type quarterbacks in the portal from, from coming to Stillwater, don't you? Yeah, you would think so, and you would hope so, and especially a quarterback that's not mobile. It just doesn't seem – I mean, you look at what Oklahoma State's doing. If you're not a mobile guy, you brought up Illingworth, and I think that that's perfect. Illingworth, I mean, he might go be a really good quarterback, but 
he wasn't going to work for Oklahoma State because Oklahoma State has now designed an offense that works for Spencer Sanders, who needs to have probably 10 plays a game where he takes off and runs, whether that's uh, designed or otherwise. So, yeah, I can't imagine, especially a stationary quarterback coming to Oklahoma State. Maybe if you're a mobile guy, you, you think Spencer Sanders pretty much every year misses a couple games uh, with injury, stuff like that, a little nagging stuff. Maybe you can come in and uh, try to win the spot. But, yeah, I don't, I don't see many transfers coming to Stillwater while Spencer Sanders is here. And, again, Carson, we always get tripped up by the COVID stuff. It, it's hard to know who has how many years. So if I'm, if I'm wrong on this, somebody can tweet me and correct me, but I think that Spencer can still play two more years at Oklahoma State if he wants to. Does that sound right, Carson? I don't even know what sounds right anymore. It's COVID's got it all screwed up. Again, if that's wrong, somebody let me know, but I think he can play two more years if he well, wants to. Well, on the roster, he's listed as a redshirt senior on the website for the spring football roster. But having a COVID year, they don't list on there, but he has a COVID year too, you know? So I think you're right. I think he would have two. He's listed as a redshirt senior, but I think you may be right about that. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know what he was listed as, but yeah, the COVID year, the COVID year. Like an asterisk on there, like, and then like in the fine print still has COVID year. Like I I need some denotation on what's what with that. I, I will say, you're right. Universities, university websites, bios, all that stuff. They need to do a better job of noting the COVID year because it's just, we have no idea. We have no idea until they like comment on it. And he has an extra, oh, well, he said that. So that must be true. So I, who knows? But we also have some March madness going on with uh, NCAA wrestling. Oklahoma State has the last update I saw. They're sitting in 12th in the team standings. Penn State's got a big lead over Michigan. So it appears like Kale Sanderson and company will probably win another national title. But Dayton Fix advanced to the semifinals with a pin. He pinned the, the same guy he pinned last year to make it to the, to the semifinals. <laughs> that guy's going to be seeing Dayton Fix in his nightmares, Colby. But while Oklahoma State doesn't have any national title hopes as a team, uh, it would be nice to see Dayton Fix uh, uh, win his national title this year. Yeah, no doubt. He aggressively pinned that guy he was going against. I watched the video on Twitter, and it was like this guy just – kind of got his head out of position or whatever. I, I don't know, but Dayton Fix just reached over, boom, headlock down on the ground, ball game. So very impressive from Dayton Fix. And like you said, obviously the season did not go anywhere remotely near the way Oklahoma State wanted it to go as a team. But if Dayton Fix could get an individual national championship, I think that would help. Uh, be a nice consolation for Oklahoma State as a whole to get to celebrate that with their teammate. Yeah, he's had some heartbreak. We all remember the the headgear ruling that wasn't called uh, his first year, and then last year he had some controversy as well. So hopefully he can end all the controversy and, and win a national title because he's he's top of the food chain. He's he's as good of any wrestler that OSU's had, and that that list is very long, as we all know. So hopefully he can get an individual national title for Oklahoma State. Uh, do we have Twitter questions to get to? Uh, we do have some Twitter questions, Carson. Let's start. Uh, let's just go ahead and clean up something that we talked about earlier in the week. Sam Humphreys tweets, and he says, pointing to South Carolina, question mark. Uh, Carson, I, I don't think there's any new news on this. We touched on it briefly earlier in the week, but we can kind of reiterate our thoughts. Uh, $13.5 million buyout. Boynton seems happy in Stillwater. I cannot imagine that South Carolina, uh, I mean, the SEC money runs deep. I don't know that it runs deep enough to buy Mike Boynton out for $13.5 million and pay him more than $3 million to coach basketball. Not when not when ba- it comes to basketball. If this was a football discussion, right. maybe. But 
football pays the bills, basketball does not. So I, I'm with you there. I just, I have a hard time seeing South Carolina, A, forking out that kind of dough, and, and B, Mike going there, frankly, with the roots that he's established at Oklahoma State. I, I know it's his alma mater, but I just, I don't see the pull being that strong at South Carolina. I would be far more worried about, let's say, a Syracuse up in New York or even a St. John's up in New York, you know, kind of up in the New York area would be to me a, a far greater concern or, or a blue blood type job, which you and I discussed on one of our previous pods. But again, with, with Mike's current overall win loss record, I don't see a blue blood coming calling uh, anytime soon or in the very near future. So I, I think the buyout combined with those factors, I, I just don't see it happening. Yeah, I don't either. So I think, uh, I think Boynton will stay at Oklahoma State and stay in Stillwater. Carson, we already touched on this for a bit, but James Engel just said, I want 45 minutes on the University of Iowa. I think we, I think we covered University of Iowa pretty well, Carson. I think, I think our thoughts on Iowa are pretty well known. Yeah, and I had the famous rant about Iowa football. I just it was like, Iowa. I mean, people try to tell me that Iowa is this elite college football program. I mean, come on. And that's just that's where it all stemmed from. Because not only is it Iowa, but they have that deal in football where they don't play the best teams in given years based on their leaders or legends division. I can't remember which one they're in, but they literally had the schedule that puts them in the Big Ten title game every other two, three years, whatever it is. So that that's where that infamous rant came from. Nothing against my, my friends up in Iowa. It's just your football program is gaining the system with the way that I think set up. And now your basketball program is too, it, it appears. Yeah, absolutely. So he also asks, uh, who would you expect to enter, enter the transfer portal? Talking about basketball and who will be the next to do so. Carson, we'd just be guessing here. Don't have any inside information. But if I were guessing, I would say, you know, Musa Cisse comes back. It didn't really seem like Caleb Boone had a great fit this year. So he, he's a guy that I could see maybe wanting to go end his career elsewhere. Uh, but that's just me trying to connect dots that may or may not be there with Musa Cisse coming back. Yeah, and that would probably be a package deal with the twins you he would think if it happened yeah could be could not i mean some you never know with stuff like that too you know i, I grew up played baseball uh with a couple of twins sometimes they want to stay together sometimes they want to go off and do their own thing obviously they came from high school to uh from tulsa to oklahoma state together who knows if they'd want to go somewhere else together but uh that would certainly be a hit for oklahoma state especially from a depth standpoint and while neither of those guys i, I think have turned into the stars at Oklahoma State that they probably would have liked to have been when they came out of high school. They've both had really good moments throughout their time. Keelan Boone in the Texas game this year in Stillwater. Caleb Boone in the, the Oklahoma game, the Bedlam game in Stillwater this year. So that would certainly be a tough loss from a depth perspective because both of those guys are capable of putting really good performances together. Yeah, some, some guy, I don't, I think the Boone twins will stick around. It was a weird year for Caleb, but I don't know. I, I would have a hard time seeing them, those two leave. Although, I mean, I really wouldn't necessarily blame Caleb with based on his lack of playing time this past year. Guys I'm kind of looking at would be M.A. Moncrief. I mean, strange year from him. Was a key cog at the end of his freshman year, but playing time few and far between. That's a guy I think that could transfer. I wouldn't want him to transfer. He's got the pedigree. Uh, not sure what happened this year, but that's a guy I could certainly see transferring. Chris Harris, been kind of a strange career for him as well. Maybe he would seek greener pastures. Uh, there's several candidates. I mean, obviously Donovan Williams has already entered the portal. Uh, anyone else you, you, you would land on possibly transferring? 
Yeah, not off the top of my head. I think those are kind of the obvious ones. Uh, I mean, to me, the really big one was Musa, and he's coming back, so that can give Oklahoma State fans uh, a little bit of solace and comfort there as well. Avery, I mean, you, you certainly want Avery back next year as your primary ball handler and a guy who can create and score, and I think he will be back because, you know, there were rumors last year that he might try to go to the league and all this stuff, but he just didn't have a very good year, Carson. So I think he's going to want to come back and try to really improve his draft stock. And maybe in a season where, you know, you have a chance to make the tournament and you, you have something to compete for more than pride and more than uh, upping your own stock, maybe things just go better as a whole. And Avery could be a big part of that. Yep. Hopefully. Um, Woody Newton, maybe just transferred in from Syracuse. Yeah. Didn't play a whole lot. I could see him maybe maybe entering the portal back-to-back years. Who knows? I think a lot of the, the roster is going to change. We're just, we just don't know who at this point. Uh, we did have one more Twitter question, didn't we? Uh, we had a couple of more. One from Brian Metcalf. He said, would you like to see mixed golf team competitions at the NCAA level? I find myself enjoying the Olympic level, men, women, combined team competitions, and feel like golf would be ideal for the same style of competition. What needs to happen to make this work? I, I do think that that's a cool idea, Carson. Uh, it's a little bit different than the Olympics. I don't think it's exactly apples to apples because that is the best men's players in the world and the best women's players in the world at the top end of those events anyway. Whereas in college, you do some mixed men and women events. You could have a team like Oklahoma that is the number one men's program in the team and the women's team isn't quite at that same level. And then you can have like an Oklahoma State who prior to a couple of transfers were the number two men's and women's golf programs in the country. So I do think it's a cool idea, but I don't know logistically exactly how they could make it work. Yeah, logistics would be a thing. I, I'm all for it just for the fact that college golf needs all the attention it can get. I think the, the PGA Tour U, University program where the top men's golfers get their get their cards or get the, the chance to play on the Corn Ferry, that's a great deal. They've gotten some more airtime on, on Golf Channel, your company, Colby. Um I think from that aspect, I think it would be cool, uh, but I'm with you. I think the logistics are a challenge, but I, I, I don't necessarily hate the idea just because I think, you know, more attention on the, on the sport and the game would be, would be for the best. And I, th- and I think female golf is, is really done a good job lately of, of getting more popularity, getting more airtime as well. So I, I would, I would like that idea. Yeah, I would too. And a lot of things that you said there uh, are pretty much spot on. Growing the game, growing collegiate golf, especially on the women's side, uh, I think is really important. So I think it would give them a good chance to do that. Speaking of, Carson, our last Twitter question comes from Cameron Jones. He just says, thoughts on several cowgirl golfers transferring Kaylee McGinty, transferred a couple of months ago, and then a couple of weeks ago, Isabella Fierro transferred as well. So this is an Oklahoma State team, uh, women's team, that won the Eastlake Cup in the fall, runners-up in the national championship a year ago. And now, Carson, they find themselves down, arguably, their two best players as they head into the meat of the schedule here in the spring. It's, you know, they chalked it up to not really enjoying their college experience as a whole and wanting to find somewhere else to be. Uh, and and I get that. I mean, these are uh, young people. You only go to college once, so I get that. But the timing of it is really tough for Coach Robertson and the Cowgirl Golf Program that had really built some serious momentum and turned itself into one of the elite programs in the country. Yeah, I mean, they were they were right there against Ole Miss to win the national title, and then Fierro goes to Ole Miss. That was like a that was like a Kevin Durant situation. <laughs> It was a little bit shocking to see her go to Ole Miss. You know, I certainly wouldn't, uh, I certainly wouldn't wish any of the hatred on a, a 
collegiate golfer that Kevin Durant got at the NBA level. I don't think Isabel Fierro going to Ole Miss is going to ruin college golf the way Kevin Durant ruined the NBA. But it was definitely a little bit surprising to see that she wound up at Ole Miss. A little bit of can't beat them, join them, right? I mean, that's fair. That's fair. I would hate that if I was a teammate at Oklahoma State. Like, come on. We just, we were right there. Yeah, I would think so too. And maybe look, this probably has nothing to do with it. She probably, you know, enjoyed the town when she went down there for a visit or whatever. But, you know, when she decided to transfer, the Oklahoma State golf program, Coach Robertson, I mean, they have a rule. You transfer, we wish you the best. We'll help you get to where you want to be and we'll take care of you. But if you're no longer a part of this golf team and this golf program, then you no longer have access to Karsten Creek. You're no longer uh, able to practice out there and do some of those things. And the Augusta national women's amateur is coming up. So obviously that was tough for Isabel Fierro. There were a couple of weeks there where I I don't know, she might've been out practicing at Lakeside getting ready to go play Augusta. So I don't know if that had anything to do with Oklahoma state kind of shutting down the practice area or not, but yeah, just a tough situation all around for the golf program. Yeah, that's that's not great. And uh, are you worried about the men's team at all? I mean, I I say worry because you know they're they're still one of the best teams, but I don't know. They they haven't had. I think they're playing right now. Uh, I saw the results. They were a little further down the leaderboard. Uh, do they have chance to win the national title this year? Yeah, they absolutely do. You know, match play has really opened it up to where Carson. I think that they're legitimately seven or eight teams on the men's side that could win the national championship this year. Uh, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Oklahoma State is still a top five team in the country, even though they've been struggling a little bit. The thing with Oklahoma State is they have several guys as individuals who can just go really low. Rasmus Niergaard set a course record last week at the Dunes down in South Carolina. Uh, He took individual medalist honors. Now Oklahoma State finished fourth as a team, so the other guys didn't play that well. Eugenio Chikara was named Ben Hogan uh, Player of the Month award winner for the month of February. He had like a 66 stroke average over six rounds, had a win and a fourth in the month of February. So they've got some really good players. Uh, Bo Jin nearly won nationals last year as an individual. He's gone into a bit of a slump, but you never know who's going to peak at the right time. And if that guy is Bo Jin, he clearly loves Greyhawk down there where the national championship will be this year and where it was last year. So it, it hasn't been just perfectly smooth going out and dominating every tournament for Oklahoma State men's golf, but I still like their chances uh, to make it into match play at the NCAAs. And once you get into match play, it's anybody's guess as to who wins it. Yeah, I think it wouldn't it be kind of ironic if Oklahoma State, like I kind of like their chances now, like you mentioned with, with the match play. You hated it when they were winning stroke play by a million shots that they had to go win match play and, the, and all the pressure was on them. I think the the match play format kind of frees them up now that they're, you know, more around the four or five range than the, obviously the number one overall seed. I think that would kind of help them free them up a little bit. That would be kind of ironic if they were able to win a national title this year, as opposed to all those years when they were absolutely loaded and just dominating stroke play. Yeah. As opposed to not 20- winning it. Yeah, as opposed to in 2019 at Blessings, whenever Matthew Wolf was the uh, individual national championship champion, and then they lost to, I believe it was Texas. Stanford went on to win it that year. It's, I mean, Stanford shouldn't have won it that year. That was Oklahoma State's year. They won the stroke play portion by 36 shots, I think it was. And then they don't even make it to the finals of match play. That's just, that's match play. It's, it's, it's just a little bit more random because if, if you run out five guys and I run out five guys and we play 18 holes and we just add them all up, then, you know, the best five guys are probably going to win that eight, nine times out of 10, but in match play, I mean, 
anything can happen. You, you could have two guys play match play who shoot 74 and 75, another two guys who shoot 61 and 67. It's just match play is a little bit more random. So just get in the, in the bracket, get in match play, and see what happens. It's time for Bullets and BBs, brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. What you got for me, Colby? Uh, Carson, this is a, a little bit of a somber one for me. I'm giving uh, an honorary bullet out to the University of the Southwest golf program, the entire campus, the entire university, dealing with the tragedy this week. Men's and women's golf coach passes away, and then uh, six student athletes as well. Two members in the other vehicle passed away. If you haven't heard about, haven't read about this accident, uh, I recommend that you check it out. It's just very tough, especially on a small school like that. I can imagine the entire campus is hurting. Those families, you just... Carson, I, I didn't play at the collegiate level, but I played high school golf. And some of the best memories that I have from high school golf are those van rides going to and from the state tournament and going to and from uh, Tulsa whenever we would play tournaments up there. We had stayed at Dorna Kills our senior year to and from there on those van rides. They're just an absolute blast, blast goofing around with your teammates. And um, that's just a, a real tragedy. So um, shout out to, to University of Southwest. They're, they're going through a lot right now. And I know we're all thinking about them as just a, a very difficult time for the, the golf community. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a just, gosh, just a incredibly sad story. I think that's a, a really, really well done bullet there. Um, I'm going to go a little on the lighter note. I got to give a, a bullet to Daniel. He's, his Twitter handle is at D Sirach, Sirach. Uh, shout out to Daniel for the, as, as Iowa lost, he sent just an absolute, tremendous meme featuring the Simpsons where it's got all the kids lined up. I, I retweeted it saying, say the line Carson. And then there's Bart and he says the big 10 stinks. And then the class just rejoices. I, I absolutely love this. It, it got like 11 likes, a bunch of retweets as well. Uh, I just love that my, my infamous rant or rants plural, I guess on the big 10 stinking and being way worse than people will want you to believe has turned into just tremendous fodder on Twitter and memes. And I, I thought the, the Simpsons meme was, was an all-timer. So, so thank you, Daniel. I appreciate it. I did see that one. That was a really good one. And that leads me into my BB, Carson. Iowa, you get the BB. You are a national disappointment. The laughingstock of Twitter yesterday. Everybody loves picking on Iowa because they're so easy to pick on. And, and Carson, I think it's the fact that they keep trying to convince us that there's something, I mean, we've got a listener who uh, has Iowa fans as family members. He'll direct message me on Twitter sometimes. And he was sending me stuff this week about some of the statements. These Iowa fans were talking, they were talking about football. And he said his uh, Iowa buddy said Oklahoma state just couldn't handle the physicality of the big 10. It's just all the Iowa stuff. I am in on bashing Iowa. I don't know why they've become one of my most hated college uh, programs, but they have. So uh, BB goes to Iowa. Well, they're quintessential Big Ten overratedness is why. So I I love that. I gotta I gotta give a, a BB to a, a fellow Oklahoma State alum who is the head coach at the University of Kansas. It's Bill Self. It's not going to him. It's going to the Kansas basketball program. I, Colby, I just it's an absolute crime that Kansas gets to be in the NCAA tournament and have a number one seed and get to just go on existing with the great tradition that they have as a basketball program, despite the fact they actually cheated 
They actually deserve a tournament ban. They actually deserve to get the hammer dropped on them amongst other programs like LSU. Uh, you know, I see coaches like Bruce Pearl back in the tournament, despite just a, a long history of cheating, has cheated at every place he's been, probably cheating still to have Jabari Smith there playing at Auburn. And Oklahoma State, who didn't cheat, didn't have systematic cheating, fully cooperated with the NCAA, are sitting at home. It, it's an absolute joke. And Kansas just gets to go on being this great basketball program. And it just, it, it sickens me. Did, did you happen to see what Buzz Williams said uh, after the NIT? Uh, uh, did you see his rant at his press conference? Not a really a rant. He read a long, like, seven-minute statement on the tournament selection process and how flawed it is and what a joke it is. Did you see that no, at all? No, I didn't. Sounds like It's great. It's great. You need to go watch it. He, like, he, he basically wanted to learn why they weren't in with he, – he wanted to know who the committee members were what metrics they used. He wanted all the data and he like printed out his own report and gave it out to the media. And I loved it because he's right. There's been so many years where none of the committee selections really make sense. And it's a flawed system. And these people really don't even know what they're doing. And he basically says all of that. And I, it reminded me of kind of what Oklahoma state has said and, and has continued to said about the NCAA's ruling it, it makes no sense there's no facts behind it there's no data behind it it it's clearly bias and uh i thought buzz williams's rant or i keep calling it a rant it was just a long statement really kind of summed up how i feel about the ncaa and their their jurisdiction their their penalties they levied on osu yeah and it sounds to me like what he was really calling for carson is something that we spent all of last summer calling for transparency and accountability transparency and accountability are two things that the NCAA has zero interest in and they haven't ever had any interest in transparency or accountability and now we're getting to a, a day and age where they're starting to get called out on it and the future of the NCAA is very uh it's unknown I won't say that it's in jeopardy I, I don't know that the the demise of the NCAA is imminent like in two three years the NCAA is no longer going to exist but the future of the NCAA is uh, is, is kind of hanging in the balance. And, yeah, transparency and accountability would be great. But I don't like your chances, Buzz, because we've been through this, and that's not something that the NCAA is real big on. Yep, LSU playing in the tournament tonight. It's just <laughs> these schools that just – like Bill Self was caught on phone conversations or text messages about paying a player. And he's coaching in the NCAA tournament and Mike Boynton's not, it's just, it's wrong. It makes no sense. There's no facts behind it. And it's, um, you know, a lot of fans always try to say people are out to get them, but man, it sure seems like the NCAA is just out to get OSU. And I just, I, I can't fathom their logic or reason or justice really in it. And it's, it's just a crime. So big BB going out to everyone involved with that. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Anything else before we get out of here, Colby? Uh, don't believe so. No, no Oklahoma State Cowboys really in contention this week on the PGA Tour. Victor Hovland's 10 or 11 back, so uh, not sure where Alex Noren winds up. Taylor Gooch is off this week. We actually got to sit down with Taylor Gooch yesterday on the 73rd hole. That'll be coming out uh, Monday or Tuesday of next week, so everybody give that a listen. Yeah, great. I've, I've gotten to know Taylor a little bit lately. Um, he's a good, good dude, and, man, he's, he's playing some great golf, and 
he gets to go play Augusta here in just a, a few weeks. Augusta is rapidly approaching. And so that must mean, uh, that must mean baby pals rapidly approaching as well. Yeah. It's uh, just real quick to close out on, on Gooch. He actually went and played Augusta for the first time a few weeks ago. We talk about that on the podcast and he tells some great stories. Oh, about, I got to listen to that. Uh, he tells some great stories about being down at Augusta. It's probably, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes into the pod. Uh, highly recommend, but uh, yeah, baby Powell is on the way. We actually had a doctor's appointment this morning and everything looks great. Two weeks from tomorrow, Carson, April 2nd uh, is whenever we're scheduled to induce, but she could come at any time. So uh, my wife's texting me wanting to get hospital bags and things together tonight. Just in case <laughs> she decides to come early. So uh, if she shows up, we'll be ready for her. Sounds awesome, man. Glad, glad everything's going uh, smoothly so far and uh, appreciate you joining the pod and uh, we'll catch up with you next week. Everybody enjoy the tournament. Go Pokes!